I want you to pause with me just one more time because I think it's important that just before we engage in our short time sharing with you this morning that we go back to Daddy to, to get his, um, his blessing. And so I ask you to pause with me just for briefly a moment. Father, thank you again for who you are. Thank you for your word. I thank you for your people because in your your sovereignty you have so chosen and orchestrated for this moment that uh, we are to be here. And Lord, we we want to pause again and we uh, just to remember and to present to you our, our Pastor Lee, who is not doing well. Lord, again, uh, you know we love him, and yet we know that you love him far more uh, than we can ever do. And so we present him his pain that he was experiencing even earlier today. Lord, maybe even now you've already intervened in creating that pain, uh, causing that pain to be subsided. We present him to you and his dear wife, Nancy. We pray, Lord, that you will even now touch him, touch his body, so that he, the, the cause of the pain could be eliminated. Lord, and if it is not your will to do so, I'm sure your grace will be more than sufficient. Lord, and now for the word that we will share with your people, Lord, as I stand here um, as a conduit to uh, convey to, you, to your people uh, the thing that you've laid on my heart, I pray, Lord, that it will do so with clarity and simplicity, so that you might be exalted, that you might be seen. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Simply put, I, so you can get a context of where this short sharing with time with you is coming from. As I said, I, I spoke with uh, Apostle Lee yesterday afternoon, and up to that point here, yeah, he was still vigorously trying to, to get here because he felt it was, um, he felt uncomfortable laying hands on someone suddenly. And so he thought that he's going to see if he can drag himself out to come and, uh, um, and share what he has uh, prepared for us here today. Uh, he's, as I mentioned earlier, he's been persuaded, and I think maybe by someone else threatened, dare you not move from here. All right, and so in that case, here I stand. But as, and I think it was part of the reading this morning, I want to draw your attention to Acts. The idea is, what are we going to do? And so what was being current on my thinking is, if someone asks you suddenly to share something, what is it that you would share? If someone asks you, normally if someone asks us, what is your name? Oh, we don't hesitate. It depends on who's asking, you might say. You know, um, but generally we know that and we would very readily express and say what our name is. But generally speaking, if you are going to have to present in front of an audience, what is it that you're going to say? Well, I'm thinking, well, the first thing I want to share is not only my name, but what is my faith? And so the background for me and what I want to share with you this morning is basically this. To share your faith and to do so Boldly. That's it. We can go home now. Where's Bodanton? Okay, okay. 
now, but if you promise to do that, we can go. Uh, but I just want to, oh, oh, right away, just before I leave. Um, there, there might be some persons here who may not feel comfortable sharing their faith. Um, I wonder why. And then there are those who do share their faith, love sharing their faith. Um, there's a matter of fact, there are some who go out of their way to look for opportunities to share their faith. In other words, right after they would have probably introduced themselves in terms of who they are, they would normally create a scenario or a question that gives them the opportunity to tell them or direct the discussion, the conversation towards spiritual things. They are so eager to share their faith. And then the other extreme would be those persons who are a little reluctant to do so because maybe they have some fear, some phobia. And so for those who do share their faith readily, I want to commend you. And maybe my word to you is this, keep it up, baby. That's it. Continue to share your faith. Of course, for those of you who don't, I want to maybe talk with you more and just so that we can probably dissect, find out why it is that you do not share your faith. What is your barrier to sharing your faith readily? Uh, Paul tells his protege, Timothy, in 2 Timothy 4.2, he says this, Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Preach the word Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with great patience and instructions. I wonder why he added those last words. With patience and instruction. How many of you ever use that term in a prayer? Lord, give me um, patience. Yeah, but David, you need it, I tell you. Yeah, um, but are you serious? And sometimes we say, you better be careful what you pray for. You know, if you say, Lord, give me patience. If you really think about it, in which context is patience best developed? I hear true trials, and I hear tribulation leaking out of this side. You can imagine me praying, Lord, give me muscles. (laughs) Uh, um, And then I I refuse to do those things that requires a little. I did look once and I found one that I had. You know, and and, but what would require that muscle to grow? You know, uh, um, but it may cause me pain because I heard some time ago without no, there's no pain, there is no. No gain, you know. But sometimes we are reluctant to do what is required. As a matter of fact, sometimes we are... Have you ever been... No, let me say it another way. Has someone ever... Could you put your hand up quickly if I ask you to do so without you saying anything? Would that be too um, strenuous? Has someone ever shamed you? Could you put your hand up, put it down quickly before I see it with my right eye? 
okay, there are five. And it's amazing how, how people even raise their hand, you know. You can imagine if I had asked you to say something. God, you'd leave your brother out here hanging. It's cheap. Huh. Um, have you ever been ashamed? Not that someone shamed you, but you have been ashamed. No. Sometimes, sometimes parents say this, it doesn't really happen, but sometimes they said, my child or children made me ashamed. That not, is not, this is not the context, it never happened to any of you, you've never shamed your parents, nor those of you who have children here, your children has never shamed you. It does not apply. I'm talking about another context, you see, you know. But sometimes people say that. But if you think about it, could someone, maybe something you read or saw on a, TV or to a movie. What does shame feel like? I hear something about school. I hear grade. It was a degrade, a D average, a degrading. <laughs> Got you. A degrading. I, I, that's you know. Um, can somebody tell me uh, something else? What does shame feel like? Embarrassing. What color is it? It, it, it feels embarrassing. Uh, that's it. It's, 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 some people use the word funny. Funny gets placed in a lot of places. You know, it's, it's, it's a funny feeling. You know, I don't know what it, but it's a fun, but you were ashamed. See, you don't know what it is to, well, because you're not that audience that I'm referring to. You know what it is to be ashamed. When I was shorter, you know, I, I um, I lived in the big yard, and I have to be careful which big yard, because there's there copycats now about where the big yard is. But when I was shorter, um, when, when I went to sleep, I sometimes thought I was not sleeping, if you understand what I mean. I'm talking parables, you know. <clears throat> but, but, and so while I was sleeping, I thought I was in the restroom, you know. <laughs> and so when I woke up, um, the uh, you have to think Family Island rule scenario. Uh, we we walked to school. Of course, it was there might be now that I think about it, there might be a biblical basis for it because I did find reference where Jesus says, "Take up your bed and walk." <laughs> but uh, um, there, there, there. But in the morning, I had to take up my bed and hang it out to dry. So, but if you did that, those other children who were passing your peers on their way to school, you have to wait, so you have to make sure you didn't hear any voices coming down the street. As a matter of fact, why don't you go out to the street and take a peep to see if the way is clear before you go out to hang out your bedding. And some of those bedding had wonderful artistic designs on them, you know, with the pattern of the... Uh, um, you know, now it was not like some people have on paper a watermark kind of thing. But 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 you want to make sure, even if they see it, they won't know who put it there. You know. And so at the end of the school day, you want to make sure you run, get home first, so that again you can pull it off the line. You know. But that for some persons who that might have happened to when they were shorter was embarrassing. You know, somebody described it, it didn't. A funny feeling, degrading. But it wasn't my fault. When it happened, I was asleep. Okay. 
But that's an embarrassing thing. But I tell you what I am not ashamed of. As Paul says in Romans chapter 1 verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first, and also to the Greek or Gentiles. I am not ashamed of the gospel. The gospel is an amazing, it's a wonderful thing, isn't it? And simply put, and matter of fact, we, most of us here, are here because we have heard the good news, we have heard the gospel, and we have responded to it. And so here we are, recipient and beneficiaries of the marvelous gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why I can say again emphatically that I am not ashamed. I'm not even ashamed to tell you I was short once and hang out my bedding. You know, yeah, I ain't getting on to that. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And so if you have someone here this morning who does not believe, let me take this time out right now to tell you it's a wonderful thing. Trust Christ. Believe in him. And what, in a very condensed, concise nutshell, what is the gospel? Simply this, that Jesus Christ came. He died for you and for me. He was buried and praised the Lord. He rose again. That's, in a nutshell, as Paul says, that's the gospel. And the extension to you or the invitation to you is, look, do you accept this? Do you believe this? And if you say yes, you would have been the immediate recipient of the wonderful blessings of the gospel. That's where we are. The gospel, I tell you, is good news. Now, please then, I want you to share your faith, but do so boldly. I know there are some persons who are maybe not ashamed. Maybe they have other reasons for not doing so. Let me tell you a little background. Acts chapter 3. I want to speak to you from Acts chapter 4. But I want to give you the background so you can understand. And you know the story quite well. Do you remember in Acts chapter 3, it was Peter and his friend John. They were going to the temple in the afternoon, around 3 o'clock in the afternoon. It was around prayer time, and they were going to the temple to pray. As they were going in and they got to the gate that they were going through, it was called Gate Beautiful. There was this lame man at the gate who was there begging for alms, asking for assistance. Well, of course, when he saw Peter and, and John, he asked, extended his hand and asked for alms. Uh, Peter said, and John, say, bro, look at me. You know, um, silver and gold, I shall be. I mean, I ain't getting on. But what I do have, I will give to you. Simply put, get up and walk. Extended his right hand to the man, helped him to his feet. And the Bible tells us that immediately that the man received strength and his ankle and his feet. Could you, would you believe if you can imagine it? Do you think this man was excited? By the way, let me tell you a little background. This man was like that from birth. 
He was born that way. And let me tell you something else. At this time, he was over 40. It's amazing about this age. You know, kids have a different perspective on age. Hey? They're so excited they, they, about numbers and age. They, even, they, they talk about it in fractions. I am four and a half. Do you know? You ever hear any adults say that? I am 66 and a half. No, they use another language altogether, you know. Some people, they used to call it just amazing the adjectives they put in front of them. Some people say they're pushing 40, you know. Wait, like 40 don't show up, you know. Um, you know, um, then some people, by the time they get a little older, you know, like um, they hit 60. <laughs> yeah. You know, you know, it's a, anyhow, let's go back. But, um, but let me tell you this. So, so there's the story. So here's this man uh, that Peter and John just extended them this miracle. Of course, not Peter. We know where the power of true source is from Jesus Christ. But this man got absolutely excited. As a matter of fact, if you read the text, it says that this man went in to the temple with Peter and John, and he was not quiet. You know, he was excited. He was jumping up and down. Now, of course, other people would have passed in earlier and would have seen him sitting out of the gate. There were those who would have seen him before because, according to the text, we are told that that was his daily routine. He's brought to the temple gate entrance there, beautiful, and he sat there. And people came, and that's how he spent the day. At the end of the day, his friends, I guess, picked him up and carried him back home. And so when they saw him in the temple... Standing upright, no, he was not still. He was jumping up and down, excited, and he was saying so. Look at me now. Watch this cartwheel. You can't do that in the temple. But he was beside himself, excited. Guess what? While they were doing that, they caused such a commotion. You know, and then Peter said to the, the persons who were there, the, the men, the people, Says, chill out, brothers. Listen, you're so excited. What, what you you think this is so marvelous? It's nothing about him, and nor is this all about us. These, what you see here, is because of that man a few months ago, who you are killed. This is because of the faith in Jesus Christ. That's what you're looking at here. But you killed him several weeks ago. Of course, the people were still amazed. How could this happen? Well, they draw some other people in. Those people who are far away, I mean, Pharisees, and those people with sad faces, called Sadducees. You see, they were there, and the priests, they came, and they wanted to find out what's going on. Well, they didn't like what's going on because Peter and John were talking about Jesus. And since it was after three, and they were there for a while, according to the text, it tells us that was getting late, so they arrested Peter and John and had them thrown into a jail. That's the backdrop. Have you heard the story, because I've read it, um, about the 40 matters of Sebaste? This happened in 320 AD. I'm told that there were an army a legion of soldiers, but in this army there were 40 soldiers who were Christians. 
Licinius, the emperor at that time, in Lesser Armenia, gave out an edict that these, everybody is to offer a sacrifice, of course, to false god. But these 40 soldiers decided that they won't do that. So they went up to their captain of the army and said to him, we are Christians and we will not offer up sacrifice. Well, because these were, this was an elite uh, section of their troop. As a matter of fact, they call themselves the Thundering Legion or the Twelfth Legion. They were, the, the, they were the handpicked. They were very good. But they decided, no, we are Christians and so we will not offer sacrifice to these false God. Well, in an attempt to one of the, the, the readings or historical rendition of the, what took place there was that they decided that um, they were going to just beat them, you know, and then maybe they'll change their mind. Of course, because they thought, hey, this is an elite group, so we want to give them the best opportunity to at least to recant. Well, they beat them, and they were very graphic about how they did that. So it wasn't just light beating. But still, and then threw them in jail. They still said, we are Christians, we will not. Well, finally, the, uh, you're showing such disrespect to the emperor's orders, is that we are going to ask you, not ask you, we are going to um, find an interesting way to punish you. This one was lethal. And so uh, as, we, as I read, I understood that the 40 martyrs of Sebaste, that these soldiers, and this was around March, I think, they call it the end of winter in the night, and it was a severe winter. Most people know I don't do winters, you know, very well. I don't like cold. But if they had done what they did, if they'd done to me, or they told me what they were going to do to me, what they did to these 40 soldiers, they wouldn't have no problem with me, because I would have died on the spot. Um, just tell me it was going to be cold, and I would have been stiff. All right. But here's what was said. That they decided that in the evening and the night, they were going to, there was a frozen lake nearby, that they were going to have these 40 soldiers stripped, and they had to walk out and stay out on the lake. Cruel. Well... As I read, they said, when the soldiers heard that, because they said that still we are Christian, they said to the emperor, you can take our armor and you can take our bodies, but our heart's allegiance is to Jesus Christ. Wow. Do you think they were ashamed? Not at all. Not at all. Have you been persecuted? To that extent? Until death, that you have to give your life? Doubt it. These 40 soldiers, one rendering rendition says that when they heard that, hey, that's it, that we have to walk, and they had a, a little warm bath set aside for those who might choose to recant and renounce their faith so they could run and get warm bath and they'll keep them warm. They, we don't want that, these 40. So they all, some, this, we read it says that they strip their clothes, they run out on the plane. So, you know, if that's what you want, that's all. Because they were looking at the end goal. That if that's what you want, we will not renounce Jesus Christ. We will be with him by sunrise. Wow. What faith. What boldness. 
They did that. A while, and so as they stood there close together, huddled together, these 40 men, they prayed. Lord, essentially saying this, Lord, not, let not one from among our midst um, give in and recant. That was their simple prayer. Well, as they stood there as time passed, as they tremble and vibrate there in the severe cold, one by one they collapsed on the ground. 39 of them. One of them decided, uh-uh, this, I can't take this. He ran away, run to the bath area. Now, I suppose because of hypothermia, some other things now, jumping from hot, I mean cold into hot. I suppose there's some shock to the body. He did. That's the short. So he died just a different place, you know. But here's the interesting thing. The guy who was, the soldier who was managing, watching to keep this area, watching oversight of this warm area, making sure the, part is, the bath is warm. He was a secret, quiet. Um, he was a Christian. And when he saw the men out on the lake, he, he had, as the story is told, that he had a vision. As he saw over them, that each of these 40 men, he saw over the head, like as if the angel is waiting for them as they all collapsed. And took them away. So, and so he decided right then that he would place faith in their God. What God do they serve? And he knew, at least he must have heard about Jesus Christ. And he placed faith in Jesus Christ. And you know what? When this one who came in and ran to the top, he decided he stripped his clothes and ran out. And he stood with the others. So that at the morning, there were 40 bodies there. Amazing. I thought that was impressive. But these men, for me, were they afraid? No. The question is, since they were not ashamed either, what about you and me? What caused us not to want to stand up for Jesus Christ or our faith? What is it that will present or prevent us from telling others about our faith? In, in um, Acts chapter 4, and I want to read it quickly in your hearing, I'm going to read from verse 13. Acts chapter 4. Because as I said earlier, in giving you earlier the backdrop as to what happened as Peter and John were going into the temple, and then they were thrown into to, to jail or prison. Verse 13. Now as they observed the confidence, now you will read the context. Now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John, and understood that they were uneducated, untrained men. They were marveling and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. And seeing the man uh, who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in reply. But when they had ordered them to go outside, outside of the council, they began to confer with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may not spread any further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more of any man in his name. And when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. 
for we cannot stop speaking what we have seen and heard. And when they had threatened them further, they let them go, finding no basis on which they might punish them, on account of the people, because they were all glorifying God for what had happened. For the man was more than forty years old, on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. Verse 23, And when they had been released, they went to their own company and reported all that that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they had heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord and said, O Lord, it is thou who didst make the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your father David, thy servants did say, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people devise futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly, in this city, they were gathered together against thy holy servant Jesus, whom thou didst anoint, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever thy hand, thy purpose predestined to occur. And now, Lord, take note of their threats, and grant that thy born servants may speak thy word with all confidence, while thou dost extend thy hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of thy holy servant, Jesus. That's verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak the word of God with boldness. Question. The early church in that gathering What did you notice? What did they pray for? Confidence and boldness. Now you, that's what texture said. They've just been released. Peter and John, they went back, told the other brothers and sisters in Christ what had happened. They went into an instant prayer meeting and they prayed. Lord, this is exactly what you said. They quoted Old Testament. And so we ask, Lord, that you give us confidence so that we might speak the word with confidence and with boldness. Can we learn something from the early church? I said yes. But there are some people, of course, who still do hesitate in sharing their faith. None, I think, would readily say, or very few, would say that the reason why I do not share my faith is because I don't care about other people. I think if you ask anyone, everyone, one-on-one, that say, do you really care about the other person's eternal life or their soul? I think everyone, I think everyone would say yes. So that's not the issue in terms of caring. Some person may say instead, I don't do it because I think I might do more harm than good. So that's my reason for not sharing my faith. Somebody else might say, I, I don't know what to say. That's why I don't say anything. Another person might say, I, I might not be able to give a sound answer to somebody who might ask me a tricky question or a very heavy theological question, and I don't know what to say, so I decide to keep my faith to myself. 
Another person's reason for not sharing their faith might be a response that I, I don't want to invade anyone's privacy. Interesting response. I'll comment on that later. Another would be, I, I, I might do it, but the person may not respond and I feel like I have failed. Might be another person's reason for not sharing their faith. Another person might say, I, I don't share my faith because I don't think I got all areas of my life in the right place. So I don't want to be a hypocrite. So that's why I don't share my faith. But perhaps the most common reasons for some persons not wanting to share their faith is the fact that they might feel rejected. I don't want anybody to turn me down. Now, as I thought about these possible responses of people, but have you ever thought for a moment that if, if somebody was in a house and the house was burning down in, in fire and you knew the person was in there, I want to see whether or not any of these barriers or reasons would fit. Because they said, look, I don't want to rush in there because maybe I might end up causing harm to the individual who's in there. You better don't say that out loud. Because somebody said, what? Two people in the house on fire? You, you're talking about harm? The next person may say, I don't know what to say. Don't say nothing. Go. They ask, where are you if you've got to go and there's smokers in this building? Then that, that argument or that response is, I don't know what to say becomes irrelevant. What about the other one? The person says, I don't, what if they ask me a question when they get in there about, who are you? Are you a trained fireman? But, what? Are you a doctor? Irrelevant question. What about, I don't want to invade their privacy. What if they're not dressed properly? Their house is on fire. All right. What, what about the other one? What if I might fail? What if they and I can't? What if they too heavy? I can't get them out. My wife tells me if something happened to me, she's gonna drag me by the head. You know, <laughs> grab something you could hold and drag that. You know. What about the one who says I'm a hypocrite? I, I don't know much about fire. All of those things fade away. If your focus is on rescuing, if you see the person in real mortal danger, that should override. And if you value the life of the individual. Do you normally ask questions like, uh, um, how tall is this person in there? I hear screams. You know, um, is, 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 has anything to do with ethnicity or race? Mm-mm. That becomes mute, irrelevant. But rejection, which I believe is one of the common responses that most people would say, that um, that's why I don't do it. I don't want anybody to tell me no. But remember now, it is not your responsibility about their response. All you're supposed to do is to be obedient. Go tell it on the mountain. Tell them about your faith. It's the Holy Spirit's work. Stop trying to displace, dethrone what the Holy Spirit is supposed to do. All you do is tell your story. This is how I came to faith in Jesus Christ. He came died for me, for you, and he was raised again the third day so that you and I can have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's it. You have told the story. The Holy Spirit is responsible for the conviction of that. So no pressure on me. All I do is take advantage of the opportunity of the persons God has brought across my path 
and say something to the person who you meet. I think you live that out. I think our Brother Frankie does that like, I don't know, like he's combing his hair every day. You know, every strand is always in the right place. You know, so he comes around and he always get a word of encouragement to share with you. It's like he's living it. It's like that's come so natural because that's who he is at his core. This is no hypocrite. Why can't we share our faith like that and remove those things that we put up sometimes uh, false barriers? But when you think about what God has done for you, by comparison, there is no comparison. I would want to share. What have you t- I ask people this. What is the worst thing someone can do to you or say to you when you go to share your faith? Get on my face, baby. Okay, I don't want to talk to you. I won't, they even did acknowledge your presence. What if other people are around and they're listening to you try to do that and they hear and they laugh? Oops, you feel so tiny. You know, some people, is that it? That's all? Do you, do you see the person as if this person is lost? These persons are lost. If you get your perspective and your vision right, then these other things becomes almost None. No. Nil. Doesn't have the effect. That's me. You know specifically what it is in your life that prevents, retards you from sharing your faith boldly. Every time. And I am sure, because if I ask, how many of you know someone who you think would benefit from hearing about your God? Yeah, you think you, think you, you can name one. But you haven't told them yet. What are you waiting on? Now remember now, it's not your responsibility for, in terms of their response. All you're doing is telling them. And, and do so because the Bible talks about how you do it. Now there are some persons who uh, share their faith. That's the next message I want to talk about. How do you do it? Because some people have different style. Isn't that good? And so you don't have to imitate me because I have my own style. Take that. You know, but, but everybody has their own style of how you share. And it depends on context, because you need to know what the other person presents with. Jesus has modeled that throughout scriptures very, very beautifully. And so we can emulate him certainly in that way. So rejection is not a big thing. As a matter of fact, I would think that rejection, you shouldn't be so surprised when you are rejected. As a matter of fact, I think you should expect it. You know, and if you expect it, you change your perspective on it. Expect the person to turn you down. And they'll still smile a while. Sometimes you've had people who come knocking at your door or to your car window. They're very poised. And even though you say some things to them like, look, y'all don't lie, but y'all tell them things that ain't true. Like, um, I'm busy now. You know he's watching that other program. But maybe you were busy doing something else. And that might be valid. you may be going into a store, they may stop you, present something, but and you're very nice, because they're nice. They say good morning, present you something. Uh, you never, well, you never. Some of you say, I don't talk to you all. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, you know? Um, but you have the truth, and you don't want to share it. You say, well, I tried that once, and they never, they, 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 no, they don't. But how many times... As God told you, you must share your faith. Only one. So we'll, let me ask you this question. Well, don't, don't answer this. Jesus had 12, right? 12. One of them betrayed him. Now, if you were in his class, you would think that 
you do believe that Jesus is a master teacher, isn't he? Yeah, okay. And, and so one of his students, and that's a good ratio, you know, those of us who teach, if you go down to only 12 students in your class, you said, this is heaven. You know, in the Bahamas, you have to be in one of our remote islands to have 12 in a class, you know. But one of them, even 12, betrayed. So was Jesus surprised? No, wasn't surprised. So if we are following him, and we are not perfect, is it, what's the big deal with you feeling if somebody turns you down and rejects you? Don't be upset. As a matter of fact, the word witness itself implies that there is some martyrdom involved. As a matter of fact, the word we get, what we call martyr, comes from the same Greek word called maturie. And so that has the same witness meaning in Greek. Rejection is not usually personal. So I say to you, please do not think when somebody turns you down or turns the gospel down, that is about you personally. There might be some persons who just don't like you because you exist and taking up air on this planet. But generally speaking, that's not the case. It's not personal, but rather it's because of your association with Jesus Christ. They are rejecting Jesus Christ, not you personally. So don't take it personal. In Isaiah chapter 53, I'm reminded, and it reminds us, that it reminds us that Jesus Christ himself was despised and rejected. Ah, and I thought it was only me. As a matter of fact, in John 1.11, it says this, He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. Okay, I'm in good company. If they're doing that to Jesus, then I just don't think it shouldn't happen to me. Because I said, I, said, I said it perfectly well, you know. But they still turn me down. But also in John 15, 18, it says, If the world hates you, keep in mind. Remember that at first hated me. Good. All right. So when I go and share with my colleagues who I work with, my neighbors who I hang out with, or other associates, and I share in the forum that God presents uh, before me, and they reject or says, like Felix, not now. I'm always persuaded, but... Maybe another time. Okay. Well, God provides another time. You share again. You ask again. I, can I still talk to you about this? Right? And you're saying, look here. That's the last time I can talk to you. Yeah? you, you or else you're going to hell. Now, that might, that might work for some. But don't say, this is the last time. Let that be God's decision. Every time you have, take advantage of the opportunity to share your faith with the person. Langton Ford says this, essentially. That courage is just fear that has said his prayers. Courage is fear that has said his prayer and faith that has taken up its cross. Faith has taken up its cross. Fear is a serious thing. Once upon a time I told you about me being fear, this flood of fear coming over me. And I don't know where I was, so I'm going to paraphrase you. I'm not sure whether I was in the spirit or out of the spirit. But uh, I was on a roof, you know, and uh, doing something. It was a windy day, you know, and the roof is sort of, I don't know those carpentry terms, but it's sort of steep. So I walk up the, moon, the roof doing a backwards moon crawl, all right, because I couldn't stand up on this roof. And um, to get up to the other part of the roof, there was a little stepladder that I had placed on the lower roof. I was up there, minding my own business. The wind came, the wind blew the ladder down that I got on to get up on the next side. I didn't know the ladder for. I thought, I paused, 
Maybe that was uh, somebody in the house, female in the house. Maybe, uh, so I didn't pay any attention. Then the person in the house came out and says, and call out. So I, I'm going to change the name so I can protect the innocent, you know. But <laughs> they said, they said, uh, Bradley, <clears throat> you are right. That has always bothered me, you know, because if I had fall, I don't think I would, answer, I would be able to answer that question. But I, I, said, I, I, just, I just said, um, I, I thought I wouldn't hear because I told you the wind was doing a good blow. So I didn't even show, I said, wait until I hear it the second time. Cause, you know, and then again, then they said, yeah, I'm okay, I'm, I'm still on the roof, you check the ground, if nothing there is still up there, you know, but um, they're still up there. Then, she said, oh, because the ladder fall. I said, oh, okay. And this individual going back in the house. <laughs> I ain't calling her name, okay. But <clears throat> So I, I start thinking, okay, I, I, I ease back down to the edge. Yeah, the ladder that I stepped on to get up there, it wasn't there no more. That is, Laying down. Now I thought the person who had called earlier, now I didn't expect that person to climb on this other ladder to get it, but at least they might have suggested some other help. But, um, <laughs> but, uh, that was not forthcoming. The person just bent out. So I, I came to, to the edge. So I had to decide, as uh, Langton Ford just said, you know, um, courage is uh, fear that is prayed, you know, offered up his prayer. And I'm thinking, now from where I am, I started doing all kind of math, you know, calculating um, my height, my weight, the distance from here. Don't evade me to get this now. I gotta jump. Okay, and I'm saying because there's a flat piece, but if I miss, there's a slope here, and this is jumping on landing on something on an angle. I think experience from other things tell me you can stay on the roof, you know, you can hit that, that'd be first bounce. Bounce here, and then the next bounce would be a little further down. So I stayed, and I had to stop, and with this feeling, it was not embarrassment, I can tell you that. That ain't the feeling I had, you know, or feeling inadequate. That was not what I felt. Someone else came on and says, how do you get from here there? Okay, I can do this. Yeah, get rid of the edge. Dangle one foot, you know, uh, yeah, pull it back up. Now, this, this, this doesn't make sense. You, now, sometimes it's not good to talk to yourself, but sometimes it's good to talk to yourself. You have to say, self, you got to do this. Because you, you, know, you got to get down here. That person gone inside. <laughs> so, ah, uh, you know, I said, this, this, this is ridiculous. This only not take me. This, that's in two seconds, because I'll be ready to hit this other level. You know, you got to jump. Ease to the edge, you know. Say your prayers. <laughs> Amen. And to leave this perch of relative safety and take this jump, it's just a short jump. Well, it, it happened. Jump. Land on the roof, reach for this ladder that was hanging precariously off the edge, grabbed it up. I never carry that ladder up there again. We are already divorced. That ain't happening no more. The ladder is gone, you know, from that place. But that was the kind of fear that over took me. You have to make a decision to face it. What is your fear? The prayer that um, 
the company that Peter and John heard in the presence of their fellow believers was this. Simply put, Lord, give us more confidence to tell others about our faith. And not only that, but to do so boldly, not scary. I'm afraid. Why are you afraid to tell them about Jesus Christ? If you recognize who he is, how wonderful he is, and how much a wonder he will be to these persons who you see desperately need him, then my fear is disappeared. And so I simply say this. Your antidote for your fear is love. I love you too much to allow you to pass me by and for me not to tell you about the love of Christ, to tell you about the greatest lover there ever was, the one who left heaven, came to this earth, we say this sin-cursed earth, just because you and I were here and he died in our place. That's the message you want to tell them. That will remove from me any doubt. So the worst thing they can do to me is spit in my face, tell me, get out their face. Somebody says, I'm going to send you to your maker. And Paul says, if you do that, that's gain. I gone. Yippee. You know, so what is the big deal? Because what other people might say or will not say, how you might be treated, small things when you compare to the wonder of what Christ has done for all of us. And let me conclude by asking you to do this quick uh, um, pretense for me. Pretend you close your eye, open your eye, you are in a new country where you as a Christian is a distinctive minority. You are a minority. This is a new country. The official government policy regarding Christian is simply anti-Christian. So you are a minority. As a matter of fact, recently you've been in a war with another country and your country lost. So you are being occupied by a foreign country and they of course using some severe heavy duty military force to suppress and keep the people under control. That's the new country. And then one follower came by and says, we want to go out and do an evangelistic meeting on the street. As a matter of fact, I'm going to give you three names to pick from. One, you were going to see the Secretary of State from another country who was just visiting our country for some economic conference and you are going to have a personal audience to share your faith with that person. That's one choice you can choose. Or you're going to have another one. You're going to pick the head of the military, um, a religious organization here in the country who is very anti-Christian. But you're going to speak to one of their leaders and share your faith with them. That's your second option. So choose out of those two which one. As a matter of fact, here is your third option. You're going to speak to this this other person, this other person is also um, a person who is the, the head of this army, uh, one of the leaders. He's known to be very fair, but he is a stickler for following the law. And he's a different culture as well. So you have these three choices. Head of the army, you go foreign diplomat, or head or one who is leading in one of this religious organization who does not like you as a Christian. Out of those three, which one will you choose? The three of them. You say, bring them on. You know, some people say, none of them. One on one? Yeah. In the early church, some people had these same people to face. And let me conclude by saying this. In Acts chapter 8, 
you remember um, Philip, the Gaza Strip? By the way, Gaza Strip, there's another Gaza Strip on New Providence. I, I learned that to uh, December the 8th. I was looking for a person who worked at the school, and she told me, if you're coming to me, you come down Soldier Road, turn this position left, and then you hit the Gaza Strip. Oh, I was always thinking Gaza Strip was someplace else. So just in case you hear about Gaza Strip, but she says, and she, she, she probably read my expression, She's, I must have frowned. She said, but it's okay. You know, Gaza Strip is okay, it's safe. <laughs> I said, okay. All right. Um, but that's the Gaza Strip. So you remember Philip? Philip, who had to go and speak to the eunuch? Egyptian was going back. He didn't know him. But notice that when he got there, the man was reading from Isaiah and asked him, understand this with that readish. Well, how did God sent him to do that. He shared his faith. Remember, you remember um, Ananias? Ananias had to go speak to somebody who was in the military. You remember Paul, Saul? Now, Ananias lived on Straight Street. Paul, go see Paul. You know who Paul was. Paul was looking for Christians. If I find you anything speaking in the, that name, you are under arrest, put you in prison, and if necessary, take you out. I need you to go and witness to him. Imagine Ananias saying, I'm so excited. Yeah. But he was obedient. And the other one, what about the other person? The person, Peter himself. Peter was on a rooftop and he was told to go and see Cornelius, military man, different culture altogether. Go to him. Get down up this rooftop. Go and speak to him. Notice in all the cases, God has already prepared their hearts to receive the message. Since, and the people who God brings in our lives, we don't know. The Holy Spirit may have already prepared them and just waiting for us to come and share the word with them. My encouragement to you is, Lord, take advantage of the opportunity, share your faith, and do so with confidence, and do so boldly. You don't have to be arrogant. That's a different attitude. But do so, because God would have placed you there. There's no accident where God places us. The point is, why are we there? Are we doing what he wants us to do? And so as you reflect on where you have come from, where God has taken you throughout your daily experiences, have you been sharing your faith? If you haven't, let me encourage you to do so based on what we read you today and what the church prayed for after Peter and John were released from prison. They prayed that they would be more confident, that they would speak it boldly. What? Not hide underground. They got up and said, look, as they told the, the priests and the elders, we want us to stop talking about what we have seen and heard, stop talking about Jesus. Now you figure this out. Should we obey you or should we obey God? What should you do? God wants us to share our faith. I encourage you to share your faith. Do so boldly. Do so with confidence. God has not given us the spirit of fear or timidity, but a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. Second Timothy 1.12, and I conclude, says this. Yet I am not ashamed. I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and I am convinced. I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day.
I am not ashamed. I know in whom I have believed. Do you? And I am able, because he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. May God grant all of us confidence and boldness as we share our faith. Amen? Amen.